following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. You might remember a few years ago, there was a kiwi fruit virus called PSA. came into New Zealand uh, back around 2012, I think. And huge, hugely devastating effect on the kiwi fruit industry in New Zealand. It was detected in Tepuki, which is the heartland of kiwi fruit country. Uh, the kiwi fruit industry in New Zealand. It was detected there, and then it spread through Tepuki, and I think to some other areas, and had a huge impact on the industry and on Tepuki as a town. Uh, Tepuki took about a 100 million dollar financial hit over several seasons of kiwi fruit growing because of this virus that affected. Uh, the kiwi fruit orchards. Farmers were massively, massively damaged through that. I know a guy who, until recently, was pastoring a church down in Tepuki, a church appropriately called the Orchard. It's a great name for a church in Tepuki. And uh, I think during those years, during the PSA years, a huge part of his ministry was ministering to people who were affected by PSA. And not just the financial implications of that, but, you know, all the follow-on effects that something like this has, the strain that it then puts on relationships, uh, the mental and emotional health issues that come along with that, and people were struggling. The community was really struggling. So this is a story. This story Jesus tells, it's a bit like PSA, except that in this parable, what we're talking about is a deliberate act of sabotage. This is not something that accidentally arrives in the country. This is intentional agricultural terrorism, if you like. This is, this is bioterrorism. This is someone intentionally trying to damage someone else's crops. So let's look at the story that Jesus tells. In verse 24, you've got a man, this farmer, who sows some seed in his field. So he's a wheat farmer. He's going out to plant some seeds. He's hoping for a good crop. He's hoping for a bumper crop of wheat. And he goes out and plants the seed in the field. But then while he is sleeping, while everybody's sleeping, an enemy comes along and sows some other seeds in the field, a different kind of seed. And apparently, this was quite common in the first century. This, this actually happened. It happened so often that there was a Roman law that dealt with this specific situation. There was a Roman law that specifically dealt with the crime of sowing weeds in another person's wheat field. It's exactly the situation Jesus describes. So this was, this was real life. Among the people Jesus was talking to, there may well have been people, there might have been farmers who had actually experienced this, who had struggled with someone else coming and doing this and damaging their crops. There might have been people that had committed this crime, that had done this to someone else. This is real life. This is a commercial problem in the first century. And the seeds that get sown, these weeds that get sown in the field, they're of a particular kind, and this is the genius of the sabotage strategy is that the enemy comes along, he sows these seeds. The Greek word for these kinds of weeds is zazania. In English, it's known as darnel. And the thing with darnel that shows the cleverness of this strategy is that in its early stages, you cannot tell it apart from the wheat. I think we've got a photo. It's not that easy to see from here. But as the darnel goes, while it's just at the level of being a stalk and leaves, the darnel just looks exactly the same as wheat. You just can't tell which is which. So at first, you don't realize you've got weeds growing. You just think it's all wheat. It's not until the wheat then gets a head of wheat on it that then you look and you suddenly realize, hang on, we've got all these weeds 
And, and we've got a little bit of wheat as well. The darnel is a noxious weed. It's a poisonous weed. And the roots get all intertwined with the wheat and it contaminates the wheat crop. This is basically an infestation of the wheat crop and it can damage and destroy the wheat and prevent it from actually producing any wheat at all. So this is an act of sabotage. It's clever because by the time you find out what's going on, it's too late. You can't do anything about it. By that stage, they're all entangled. And this is what happened. The servants of the farmer come to him and say, there are weeds growing. So obviously it's far enough along in the season, the wheat's produced the head, and the servants can see now that there's all these weeds there. They say to the farmer, there's weeds in the field. And the farmer knows exactly what's happened. Look at the text. He says, straight away, an enemy has done this. Straight away, he realizes. He knows, this. He knows the deal. He's probably had friends that have had this happen to them. He knows what, what happens when people do this. He recognizes it as an act of sabotage. And the servants say to him, should we go and pull up the weeds? And the farmer says, no. He knows it's high risk to do that. If you try and pull the weeds out, the roots are all entangled, there's a very high chance you're going to pull out the good wheat as well. So the farmer says, no, let, let both grow up, grow up together until the harvest. And then at the harvest time, what the farmer intends to do, send out the servants into the field, and they would have to then do the painstaking job of individually separating out the weed from the wheat. One by one, figuring out which is which, making sure that you, you gradually untangle the roots and try and figure out the good wheat and then the damaged wheat and then the weeds. Because if you get the darnel mixed up, if you accidentally put that with the wheat, this stuff makes you sick if you ingest it, if you eat it. So you can't be having that all mixed up with the wheat. So they would get the, the weeds and they would get the damaged wheat and they would bundle that up and that gets incinerated. And then they get whatever good wheat is left and they take that into the farmer's barn, and that's the good stuff. That's what he then goes on to sell. So that's the story. And this is real life. This was a real-life situation for people living in first-century Palestine. This was economic warfare, and people knew about it. So it's a fascinating story, but of course it has a deeper meaning. And Jesus thankfully tells us exactly what it means in great detail. In verse 37, he helps us make the connections. So he says, the farmer, the one who sowed the seed, that's the son of man. That's Jesus. So Jesus is the farmer, and he's sowing the seed, and the seeds represent people. There's two kinds of people being depicted in this parable. The good seed, the wheat seed, that's people of the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. This represents people of the kingdom. That's people who belong to Jesus. That's people who have accepted Christ, who are Christians. The wheat represents Christians. And then you have the weeds. And in this parable, the weeds represent, Jesus says, people who belong to the evil one, people of the evil one. So that represents people simply who do not belong to Jesus. It's not people you don't like. It's not just people that you think have said something outrageous. It's not people that you can't stand, all right? So the, the weed, don't think about, just because the weeds are noxious, don't think obnoxious people. This is just people who don't follow Jesus. They could be lovely people. They could be very, very open and welcoming towards Christians and Christianity and so on. They're just people who don't belong to Jesus. And so in the end, Jesus is saying there really are just two types of people in the world. There's the ones who belong to Jesus and there's the ones who do not belong to Jesus. And the weeds and the wheat, they're growing up together. That's how it works. And then the harvest, says Jesus, is the end of the age. 
the time when Jesus returns again and undertakes this judgment. And then there is going to be this great separation of the weeds from the wheat, of those who belong to Jesus from those who do not. And those who don't belong to Jesus, they are then excluded from God's kingdom. They are separated from God for eternity. But the wheat, those who belong to Christ, taken into the farmer's barn, which represents the kingdom of God, ushered into the final kingdom, and they enjoy the presence of Father, Son, and Spirit on through eternity. Represents the new creation. So that's the parable. That's the story. Fairly simple in a sense. Kind of represents what the kingdom of God and the world look like now, and then what it will look like at the final harvest. But I want to unpack this a bit. I want to ask the same question we asked last week. Where are we in this story? How do we find ourselves in this parable? And how do we understand the world around us in view of what Jesus is saying here? So let's take a closer look at some of the people and some of the aspects of this story. Let's start with the weeds. Let's start with the negative. You have these weeds. Now the fascinating thing about this story is that the weeds are indistinguishable from the wheat in the present. That's interesting, isn't it? For, for a lot of the time, you cannot distinguish the wheat from the weeds. You can't. You just can't tell. That's a unique feature of this parable. And it's because as we live our daily lives, when you look around, Christians and non-Christians are all mixed up in this world. Unless you insulate yourself away in a commune like Gloria Vale, you are mixing it up with people who don't share your faith all the time. We are living together. We are working together. We're on the same street. We're in the same sports teams and schools and universities and social networks and professional networks, Christians and non-Christians. And at a surface level, just in terms of your day-to-day activities, very often Christians and non-Christians can look very much the same. We're all trying to do the same stuff because we're all living in the same field. The field represents the world. It's not just the church. It's the world. We're all living in the same field and we're all just trying to do life together. We're all just we're paying the bills and we're, we're, we're working jobs and we're trying to raise the kids and we're trying to have healthy relationships and we're getting through the day and we're just doing life. And on the surface, Christians and non-Christians can look very similar. Sometimes you just can't tell who's who. But the point of this parable is that the weeds and the wheat are fundamentally different types of people. You might not see it, you might not notice it. We may not know exactly who's who until the final harvest. But the weeds and the wheat are fundamentally different types of plants. They're different types of people. Those of us who are wheat, those of us who belong to Jesus, who are seeking to follow Jesus, we are seeking to live out of the biblical story. We're seeking to live out of the biblical narrative, the narrative of God reconciling all things to himself through Christ. If you're not a Christian, you're not living out of that story. That's not your story. You're living out of some other story. One of the stories of our culture, story of secularism, story of consumerism, story of hedonism, pursuit of pleasure and happiness, story of materialism. One of those stories is governing your life and shaping your decisions and controlling your actions each day. Those of us who are, who are wheat, we are seeking to be worshippers of the one true God. We're seeking to allow Jesus to be the object of our heart's greatest affection. But if, if, you, if you're identified as the weeds, and by the way, when I say weeds, I'm not, I'm not using that in a pejorative sense to say you're a weedy person. You know, I'm not, it's, not, it's not a cruel term. It's not a derogatory term. It's just a term that describes people who don't belong to Jesus. That's the metaphor. That's the parable that Jesus is describing. So if you don't belong to Jesus, you, you are not worshiping. 
You don't have that same center of gravity. You're, you're worshiping something else. I mean, we're all worshipers. Every human being is worshiping something, someone. But those who are the weeds are worshiping something else. Career, sport, money, pleasure, lifestyle, body, health and beauty, business, power, sex, whatever it is. You're worshiping something else. There's something else that's captured your heart besides God. So the weeds and the wheat look the same on the surface. They can do anyway. But underneath, they are fundamentally different. The wheat, those who belong to Jesus, we are ultimately seeking to live God-centered lives. Those who are weeds are ultimately living self-governed, self-centered, self-directed lives. That's the reality of life in the present age. And so here we are, those of us that are wheat, who would identify as the wheat and say, yeah, I belong to Jesus. We are therefore living in a world where we're surrounded by weeds. We're surrounded by people all the time who don't share our faith. We live in a world full of weeds. And we're trying to grow up among the weeds. That's the reality of life. And that brings some challenges. That brings some struggles. One of the big challenges is that very easily our faith can be contaminated. That's the point of this whole story. That's the point of this act of sabotage is that you try to destroy the crops. That these noxious weeds get in and they entangle their roots and they poison the wheat. And very easily, very subtly, as Christians, we can allow our faith to be contaminated. Not necessarily by any one person. There may not be some antagonistic, hostile person in your life. But simply through spending the time we do with people who don't share our faith, there is a subtle influence that happens. Very gradually, very slowly, the worldviews of people that we're spending time with start to rub off on us. Very slowly, the values and the priorities of the people that you're working with and the people in your networks and the people you're socializing with, very slowly, very gradually, the values that they have, things that are driving them, things that are important to them, things they're building their lives upon, they just slowly become the things that you start to value. You start to think are important. You start to build your life. The stories they're living out of, the direction they're aiming their life, gradually becomes the direction you start aiming your life. The center of their world, which is themselves, starts to become the way you live. A self-directed, self-governed, self-preoccupied life rather than a Christ-centered life. And it's not that you necessarily stop being a Christian. It's not that you stop. You don't necessarily give up your faith. You can still come to church on Sundays, we sing the songs, we hear a sermon, we still believe in Jesus, we still have this faith. It's just that for the rest of our week, for the other six and a half days, we live as functional atheists. We live as if God did not exist. You ask yourself, in the last six days of your life, would it have made any difference to you if God did not exist? Would it have made any difference to the way you lived? to the way you conducted yourself, to the decisions you made, to how you lived your life, would it have made any difference at all if God didn't exist? So much of the time we can be practical, functional atheists. We're confessing Christians, but we're functional atheists. And that is the, that is the contaminating effect that the weeds have. And the hardest part is we don't think it's happening. We think we're immune. We think we're stronger than that. But gradually we are becoming like the weeds. And we want to have an influence on them. We, we want to be salt and light in the world and we want to be a good witness, but it's the sheer force of living in a culture that is so opposed to God that if we're not careful, has a contaminating effect on us and we become squeezed into the mold of the world 
around us and shaped by the values, the priorities and the ideology of people that we are spending a lot of time with. It's not they're bad people. It's not that we shouldn't be spending time with them. We want to love, we want to serve, we want to bless. We, go, we live in the world. That's the reality of life. But we've got to be aware of the dangers. We can easily become in the world and of the world. And then we've got nothing to offer the world. The other challenge, though, is even if you're seeking to maintain a strong faith in the midst of the world that you're in and the social circle and professional circles and so on that you're in, you can often just feel very alone. And you can feel, I mean, you might be the only Christian in your family. You might be the only Christian in your workplace. I've been in that situation. My previous job, I was the only Christian in our whole office. Thankfully, there's a few more Christians in my workplace now, which is nice. Still working on a couple of them. But um, Michael will get there eventually. But, you know, you might be in that, in that space, maybe the only Christian in your team, only Christian in your workplace. It's lonely, right? It's hard. And conversations happen that you're not a part of and topics come up and you know you've got a bit of a different perspective on that and you're not sure whether to say anything and they know you've got a bit of a different perspective on that and they're not sure whether to ask you about that and there's this social awkwardness and then there's this slight, subtle kind of alienation that you feel where you wonder whether you're just being slightly distanced by everyone else because you are different. And in a sense, we should be different. Our lives are different. The very core of our being is different. But it's hard. And you can feel lonely. And you can feel left out. You can feel ostracized by other people. And it can be discouraging, can't it? That's just reality. It can be really demoralizing. And you can get down on God about it. You can get down on your faith and down on yourself about it. And it takes a toll. It's exhausting. This is where we've got to step back and we've got to see the bigger picture that Jesus is describing here. We've got to see what's really going on. Who's the one who sows the weeds into this field? It's the enemy, right? It's not really about the weeds. It's not really about the wheat either. It's about the enemy. This is a deliberate act of sabotage. It's the enemy who has done this, says the farmer. It's why the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. People are the ones we see. And they might be the ones that annoy us or we, we, we find difficult or whatever it is. We just struggle living in this world. But ultimately, it's not about people. People are not the problem. The weeds are not the problem. The problem is the enemy. And what the enemy wants more than anything else is to attack God. We think that the devil, who, who is the enemy, the evil one, the devil, Satan, we think that his priority is attacking us. The devil's attacking me, Satan's attacking me, I'm under attack. The reality is, the devil doesn't care about you. He cares about God. He cares about attacking God. You're just a pawn in the game. You're there for convenience as far as he's concerned. He cares about attacking the farmer. The enemy wants to get at the farmer however he can, and he knows the best way to get at God, the best way to tear down the plans and purposes of God is to sabotage the wheat field, is to sabotage the wheat and make sure every wheat stalk is surrounded by weeds so that that wheat is contaminated and poisoned and alienated and unable to be fruitful. That's the strategy of the enemy. So we've got to open our eyes here. We see flesh and blood. We see people and we may be in difficult situations. But we've got to step back and realize it's not really about weeds versus wheat. 
It's about a cosmic battle that is going on between the enemy and the farmer, between the devil and Jesus, between the forces of darkness and the armies of God. That is what's happening. We've got to be aware of the spiritual realm and the cosmic battle that's raging. But here's the thing. The battle does not have an uncertain outcome. It's not like there are these two forces at work. There's the enemy and there's the farmer, and we don't know who's going to win. And we're holding our breath to see how it's all going to end. It's not like that's not the biblical story. We know who's won. The farmer has already won. We know that the enemy's already been defeated. We know that, that you don't see this in that parable, but this is the rest of the biblical witness, is that the enemy has been already defeated on the cross. It's not his field anymore. This used to be his territory. It's not anymore. He doesn't hold humanity in the power of his hand anymore as he used to, but now through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's a defeated enemy. And one day he's going to be a destroyed enemy. So he doesn't have control. Yes, he can agitate. Yes, the devil can sabotage, but he knows he's going down. He's just trying to take as many people down with him on the way. But he knows his days are numbered. He knows. And you see what the farmer knows is that ultimately there's still going to be a harvest. The harvest is coming. You notice what the farmer says when the servants come and say, do you want us to pull up, the, pull up the weeds? He says, verse 29, no, he answered, because you might uproot the wheat with them. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. See, he knows there's still going to be a harvest. Ultimately, this act of sabotage is going to fail. Ultimately, the plans of the enemy are going to fail. If you try and sabotage someone else's wheat crops, your intention is to wipe out the whole crop. You your intention is there's going to be no harvest for this guy, and that's the whole point. You hit him where it hurts. But the farmer knows different. He knows there's still going to be a harvest. And yeah, there's going to be some damaged wheat. And he may take a hit, but there's still going to be a harvest. That one day the enemy is going to be destroyed. One day Jesus is going to return. And he's going to sit on the great white throne of judgment. And the harvesters, the angels, are going to gather all humanity surrounding the judgment seat. And Jesus is going to separate the weeds from the wheat. And while in this life, it may be hard to see sometimes which are the weeds and which are the wheat. And it's not our role to try and separate them now. But on that day, it is going to be unmistakably clear. So C.S. Lewis said, there's only two types of people in the world. Those who in the end say to God, my will be done. And those who say to God, thy will be done. There's going to be a great separation and it is not going to be on the basis of who, is, who are the good people and who are the bad people. It's not on the basis of who's tried harder, who are the morally superior, who are the morally inferior. It is purely on the basis of who is united to Jesus who belongs to Jesus, who has been saved by the sheer mercy and grace of God. They will be the wheat. And the weeds will be taken off to judgment, eternally separated from God. And the wheat will be gathered into God's barn. The enemy's going to lose because God's going to reap a harvest. One way or another, the harvest day is coming. And those who are, who are wheat, those of us who belong to Jesus, we're going to be ushered into the final kingdom this eternity, this renewed creation where we will spend forever with Father, Son, and Spirit in the community of those who love God. And there's a beautiful phrase in this parable that, that captures 
what that life is going to be like, what that future is going to be like. In verse 43, the last part of this explanation, Jesus says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. It's a great description. I'd never noticed that before. But one of the most beautiful, one of the most poetic descriptions of life in the new creation, life in the final kingdom, not as it is now, but in the final kingdom, we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. We will be glorified. We'll shine with the radiance of the glory that we share in. And guess what there's going to be none of in the new creation? Weeds. And I mean that both literally and figuratively. If you believe that God's intention is to renew the earth and resurrect this world, then there's going to be gardens in the new creation and you'll never again have to pull up weeds. Imagine that. Gardening the veggie garden and it's just there's no weeds. You've got the flower garden, you never again have to deal with the weeds. And of course, in the broader sense, no more sin, no more evil, no one who opposes the plans of God, but those only those who belong to Christ. And we are so enveloped in his love, the peace of God covers the earth. That's the hope that we have. We've got to remember as we're growing up among the weeds now, the harvest day's coming. We've got to set our eyes on the harvest. The enemy's not going to be successful in the end, but the harvest will be here one day when Jesus returns. So the question then is, if that's God's intention, if he intends to bring about this great harvest one day, why doesn't he do it now? Why doesn't he just do this? I think this is probably the question that's driving this parable. The people are asking, God, if, if this is what you want to do, why don't you pull the weeds up now, burn them, get rid of the enemy, just have a field of wheat. Why don't you do this? Surely you could. And this is what we learn about the farmer in this parable. Above all, that the farmer is patient. He's patient. He could have pursued that strategy. He could have tried to pull the weeds out and maybe sacrifice some of the wheat along the way. But he says, no, let both grow up together. In his wisdom, that's the world that God's allowed to take place, a world in which the wheat and the weeds grow up together. That's why we experience life in the present as we do. And the reason that God is patient is explained so well in one verse in 2 Peter 3. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to this. Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why God is patient. Because he's hoping that maybe some of these weeds might yet become wheat. It can't happen horticulturally, but it can happen spiritually. You can just about, it's a little bit speculative, but I can almost imagine Jesus ready to come back and the Father saying, just hold on. There might just be a few more. There could just be a few more people that'll come into my kingdom. There might just be a few more hearts that'll turn towards me. Maybe just a few more. This is God's greatest desire. More than he desires your comfort and happiness and contentment in, the, in this life. He desires people to come into his kingdom. He desires that people would come to repentance. His heart is aching for it. His heart is breaking for it. That is one of the main reasons Jesus hasn't come back yet. Is because he desires for the harvest to be as great as possible, as plentiful as possible. He wants to keep the doors open as long as he possibly can for as many as, as, as who would to bow the knee before Jesus, confess him as Lord and become children of God. That's the Father's greatest desire. So we should share that desire, right? I mean, if the farmer is patient, we probably could do with a little bit of patience ourselves in this life, a little bit more patience maybe with the weeds, 
rather than condemning and judging and writing them off and ignoring them and saying bad things about them, maybe we need to pray for them. Maybe we need to try and actually share the good news with them. The father's, the farmer's greatest desire is that they would come into his kingdom. So let's be patient with the weeds. Let's be patient with the farmer. Let's be patient with God while we're growing up here among the weeds. Let's, let's trust in the sovereign hand of the farmer. He knows what he's doing. Even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when we're in a world that seems overgrown with weeds, such as ours does a lot of the time. We can still trust in the sovereign hand of God. He is moving history towards that day when we're going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. That's, that day's coming. He's already defeated the enemy. He knows what he's doing. Trust the farmer. Be patient. He's got his hand on history. He's sovereign. We need to be patient. And we need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant in our faith. Please don't hear me saying that we shouldn't hang out with non-Christians anymore. That, that, that's absolutely not the message of this parable. We are called into the world. We are called to be witnesses. We're called to love, to serve, to bless. But if we just become like the weeds, we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to share. We've got nothing to say. So this story is about protecting our faith so that we can shine even in the midst of the present life. We've got to be aware. Don't be naive. Be aware of the way that just being surrounded by the people that we're surrounded by every day, maybe very good people, but we can easily have our faith diluted and compromised if we are not vigilant. And one of the greatest things that we can do, one of the most important things we can do is surround ourselves by other wheat. It's one of the best things you can do. Because you may feel like an island in your workplace or in your coffee group or at school or at uni. You may just feel like you are on your own and you've got all these, you don't even know what conversations to have half the time. That's why you've got to draw some brothers and sisters in Christ in close. When I worked in my previous job, I had a group of guys, three other guys, and we met together before work on a Thursday morning because we knew that we needed that refuge of Christian community in our lives. And we held each other accountable and we asked some questions every week of one another, see how each other are going at home, in our family, as guys, in our faith, and so on. We needed that. I needed that. I still need, we, we all need community. We need to recognize the influence of the weeds. We need to surround ourselves with wheat. Who's the wheat in your life? Have you got people? Have you got brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ that you can draw in? That you're in community? Maybe it means getting in a life group. Maybe it means having some people that you have an accountability relationship with. Have that community because that will help to anchor you. People that can encourage you. People that can pray for you. People that can help you to keep growing and to be fruitful. So, as you're out in the garden weeding, <clears throat> which probably many of you are about this time of year, it's quite a good parable for this time of year, isn't it? As you're out there weeding, think about this story. Think about the weeds in your life. Again, not obnoxious people. Just people that don't belong to Jesus, for whatever reason. And pray for them. Pray for them by name. Ask God to work in their heart. We've got to have the faith to believe the power of God can change the hardest heart, can soften the hardest heart. Pray for them. Ask for patience with them. Ask God to give you patience. Patience with people, patience with him. And ask God to protect your faith. To keep you vigilant, to keep your faith vibrant, to push the roots down deeper and deeper. To be aware of the ways in which you might be being influenced. Your faith might just be being contaminated a little 
might be being poisoned in some way. Ask for God's help in avoiding that, in remaining strong and draw around you some other wheat, people that will encourage you, people that will walk alongside you in this journey. May we be that wheat that grows well and bears a great crop to be part of God's harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have planted us in your wheat field purely by your grace. And God, we pray that you'd show us the world as it really is. We see it one way, but God, this story shows it to us another way. We pray that we'd have your eyes to see the people around us, God, to see those around us who, who don't know you, Lord, and we pray that we would love them with the same love that you've loved us, that we would pray for them, that we would seek to serve them, share your good news with them. But Lord, that as your people, we would also be different. We pray that we would not be squeezed into the world's mold so that we just become like everyone else. But Lord, we want to shine even in this life. We want to live different lives. Lord, we know we are living out of a different story. Father, forgive us for our faith. Even, even now as we sit here, we recognize, God, our faith is it's already happening. We're already being diluted. We're already being compromised. God, we thank you that you're always gracious and forgiving and you always just lead us forward from wherever we are. So we, we pray, Lord, for your, your strength. We pray for your power in our lives to be the wheat, to be the wheat that you've planted and created, that we might be fruitful and we might bear a harvest for you. And Father, we pray that as we live among the weeds in this life, even though it's discouraging at times, demoralizing at times, that we would keep our eyes on that day of harvest. When Jesus, you're going to return and usher us into your kingdom. And we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. We long for that day, Jesus. Bring on that day. But we pray while we wait that as many as possible would come to repentance, would come to you. And we pray that you would use us for that purpose and for that end. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.